Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you, and enjoy. All right, so tonight, the title of the talk is Mediocrity Never Inspired Anyone. And what I want to do is just three simple things tonight, is I want to talk a little bit about answering this question first. Does you and I, if you and I start practicing our faith more vibrantly, does it even matter? Like, are there studies that would show that it matters? Because if it doesn't matter, well, we could have done a lot of things tonight. So the faith's been around for 2,000 years. So is like sociology and psychology and study. Are there studies that can show this? What are the studies telling us? Because if there's no empirical data, the data is like, no, it doesn't matter. Well, then it doesn't matter. All right, so we need to find out what's, what's actually the studies saying. Second, I then want to have a little conversation about like what is greatness. So if we don't want to be mediocre and we want to be great, what is greatness? And then I want to talk about the uh, most fruitful way to bring about change in our lives, which is different than a lot of different ways men's groups try to do it. So those three things, and each is just a little bullet point on each one. But let's begin with a little prayer. Before we pray, I just want you to take a moment and just notice where you're at. And I don't mean that like physically and who you're sitting next to, just your inner world. Like most of you work today, and some of you came home and didn't even know that your wife put this on the calendar for you so that she handed you your keys and said bye. So that was a surprise. Some of you knew you were doing this all day and you thought you'd have a time to go home, eat, whatever, and you didn't. Some of you came home and your wife was yelling at you, or some of you don't have a wife, and that you came home and you realized that all the more deeply because in these fall days it'd be nice to have one. And some of you just are like, life is just great. Some of you, life is really hard. So you just want to notice what your day was like because when you pray, God wants the real you. He doesn't want some pious version of you. And when we go to look at God, if we're looking at God in a fake way where our real hearts are somewhere else, he's like, hey, do you want to talk about that thing? And we're like, no, we're just here to say in our Father. Let's move on. So we want to make sure we're very honest with God. Just take a moment of silence and just realize, are you tired Are you frustrated? Are you joyful? Where are you at today? Let's just take a moment and then we'll pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God and Father, I thank you for this room. Thank you for everyone here that you call your son. You were devoted to them as a really good dad, full of strength, endless strength, and also endless tender love and encouragement. Bless our time together, make it fruitful, and speak deeply to us through Christ our Lord. St. Basil the Great, St. Joseph, in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So before COVID happened, there was a study done. And what it showed was pretty alarming, which was that deaths of despair were on the rise. Kind of an odd way to start right after a prayer. but um, <laughs> So deaths of despair, first time in a long time, that several years in a row, deaths of despair are on the rise. What are deaths of despair? Anyone know what they are? Ask that over. Anyone ever heard? Yeah. You read the book Rescue. Well done, Dan. Yeah, bonus points for being on finance council, Dan. Way to go. Uh, uh, suicide, overdose, 
poisonings, things like this. So it's not like you're 95 and you had a heart attack, okay? Or you got hit by a car or you got in a bad car. Deaths of despair are usually a sign that something you wanted to end your life or you were doing risky enough behavior intentionally where that could have happened anyways. Those deaths have been on the rise in America. And the reason that's alarming is it's, a, it's the biggest symptom of an immense amount of unhappiness. So that study's going on. So that's affecting everyone you work with, people you see in school, people in your family, maybe you and me. Either we're suffering from it or someone we know is, but the idea of hopelessness and meaninglessness is pretty pervasive. And it's having an effect. So based on these studies, another group did a study. They took, you know, this because uh, this is how you operate in a university. You, know, you get one group to do a study like, oh, I'll get a grant for a million dollars and just add on that study. And they're like, oh, sure, go for it. So another group did a study, right? And in this group, what they looked at was, is there any correlation between the loss of religious practice and the deaths of despair? And what they found was, yes. That the lack of men and women putting their faith into conscious practice, meaning actually engaging in the practice of the faith. For us as Catholics, that would be every Sunday Mass, confession, trying to pray every day, doing something for the poor, getting involved in church groups. That that had an effect. That as that waned in people's lives, deaths of despair increased. And where people were practicing their religion, the, the despair, the meaningless, the hopelessness was decreasing. For our group tonight, what I want to add is one more stat. They asked a lot of lifelong Catholics, and people are really vibrant Catholics and tend to be middle-aged. They were, journal they were asking about this. They said, name some of the biggest factors in you practicing your faith. Why do you practice your faith? And they had answers in there like, please circle, right? Powerful encounter in high school. Um, you know, in college, you took a class and it converted you. Your spouse is the one who tells you to do it. Um, the most consistently listed reason for why men and women practice their faith, you know, outside of the developmental years, is because they had a dad who practiced his faith. It's the number one most consistent reason. Now, it's not like without that, that doesn't happen. How do I know that? Well, my dad was an agnostic Jew who only went to Catholic Church to see me get my first communion. All right. There's a picture of him in a white leisure suit and an afro in the, in the mid-80s. All right, so it's not like this is, a, this is the only way. God is God, and he works through a lot of different means. But we know that the number one guarantee of younger generations practicing their faith is that particularly men practice their faith. So let's bring these three together. What does it mean? It means you practicing your faith is one of the most impactful, culture-changing type of decisions that can happen in America. The studies are in. If deaths of despair go down, hope and meaning increase when people practice their faith, and the man of the family or any men in society who are fatherly figures practice their faith has a huge impact in generations, then you practicing your faith is one of the most culturally changing things that can happen in America. Voting is important, but the studies show this is even more impactful. And so the very fact that you're here tonight is, we could almost say, is a very holy revolution for America. Or at least we could say 
in the Brecksville, Broadview Heights, Sagamore Hills, Independence, wherever anyone else comes from areas of the Northeast Ohio, that this is, this is transformative. And so then the question becomes, all right, well, if I'm going to practice my faith, I want to make, I want to be great at it. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, my favorite sport was basketball. I wasn't interested. I had no chance. I was, I'm five foot eight balding. That's not good now. But back then I thought I might, I asked Santa Claus to be six feet tall one time for the main reason to get in the NBA and it didn't work, but that was my dream. Uh, but I didn't watch like, you know, I don't know, Kiwanis players and said, all right, how do I be like them? I imitated Michael Jordan. I had my tongue sticking out. I was trying to turn around jumpers. I would watch him on TV. Then I'd go out in the... Why? Because I wanted to imitate greatness. Right? Maybe for you it was baseball. Right? And maybe, remember Nolan Ryan? Maybe you were practicing pitching like Nolan Ryan. Right? Or whatever it was for you. And maybe it wasn't a sport. Maybe for you, you loved comedians or impersonating people. And you would watch how they do it. And then you'd go in the mirror and try to impersonate people. Like Jim Carrey, that's how he started his whole career was he would look at comedians and uh, actors and he would go in the mirror and try to contort his face so he could look like them and impersonate them. He found famous people and then tried to imitate them. And that's a huge part of how we become better or great at something. And then this is what the challenge is for you and me is the gospel of Jesus always throws everything upside down. G.K. Chesterton, a famous Catholic writer, says, if you want to see the world the right way, stand on your head. And by that, what he means is everything is dependent. Everything is clinging to God to survive. He also said, if you want to know a free person, they swim upstream. Slaves go with the current. Free people can go against the current, right? So the idea is, if everything gets turned upside down, what does greatness look like for Catholics? Or more importantly, what does great look, great, greatness just look like in general for us? I know for me, growing up, I was, I'm just totally a, a movie guy growing up. And so I, I think I've shared this with you guys before. I must have watched Rambo and Rocky and Delta Force. I don't know. 100 doesn't seem like enough. 100 times, those movies. In fact, I was at the chiropractor today because I've been having some back problems. And while he was doing some sort of electroshock Nazi therapy on me, he... Uh, <laughs> He was like, I'm like, did you learn this in some sort of torture camp? He said, yeah, with Chuck Norris and Delta Force. And I knew the reference. I felt very proud of myself. Um, right? And so these are the guys that, these are, these are men that normally in the movies, they capture our attention because they speak something to us. That's the first thing. Why do they catch our attention? Why does James Bond catch our attention? Why do the Bourne movies catch our attention? Why is there even a genre that we all basically get called man movies? It doesn't mean women can't enjoy them at all, but there tends to be something about man movies that resonates with us. And yet, as I look out, I don't know many of you that, I don't know, are Green Berets or Secret Assassins or can jump from balconies or, you know. I, and so it's like, obviously, it doesn't resonate with us because we do that. And if you do that secretly and no one else knows in this room, that's even cooler, all right? So what is it tapping into? It's tapping into something that in the church's tradition we call a heart. The problem is you and I have heard the word heart and we think of Hallmark cards. And we're like, I don't want to talk about the heart. Or the heart has just been reduced to emotions. And we're like, well, that's women's expertise. Right? But your heart, according to the Bible, is the place where God dwells, where he's most active in your life. 
And what gets us in touch with the heart most, according to John Paul II, is good art. And movies are a form of art. And man movies are a genre. So a good man movie can get you in touch with your heart. Now, please don't go home and tell your wife you can't hang out this weekend because you have to watch 12 hours of movies or something like that. I'm going to get emails. (laughs) But it is to say... How much credence do you give it when you watch a movie and you get animated? I can remember, I think I was in fifth grade, I was watching Rocky IV for the umpteenth time. It was the training montage. He's going up the mountain. Ivan Drago's running on the treadmill. It's getting steeper. He's crawling and grasping. And I decided to get up out of the chair and just start punching invisible bad guys. And I turned around and I didn't know my mom walked in there. I punched her right in the back and knocked her right on the ground. My response was, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> I was in my work, I was training with Rocky. See, what was happening was, is I wanted to be someone fully alive. I wanted to be someone who was fully alive, capable, and I also wanted to know that I could be weak and an underdog and still have hope. That's the key to these movies. If they weren't underdogs or there wasn't some kind of weakness in them, we'd be like, I can't relate. But it's the very fact that there's an inadequacy, a weakness in these male characters that allows them to overcome it and face it and get stronger that resonates with us that maybe there's something we can do with our weakness. Maybe there's something to do in the places where we get insecure and confused. Maybe there's something we can do with it. And notice, this is exactly what the gospel is trying to tell us. Jesus is like, listen, I don't need you to go like beat up uh, Russians in you know, a ring. I don't need you to save everyone in Vietnam. But I do want to do something with you around your area of weakness. In Matthew chapter 18, the disciples are walking with him and they say, it says they were fighting among them who was better. Who is the best in the kingdom? Now, we often read that and we think, first off, like, maybe I do that with my buddies as a joke, but like, were they really just like talking about, I'm better than you? Like, is this what they were saying? They were walking, the God made flesh is walking with them and they're like, yeah, 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 I'm probably better. He called me first. And like, no, no, I got to hang out with him on the mountain. And they're like, oh, great. Like, like, what were they debating? It's a very odd thing. But Jesus knows they're debating, that they're trying to figure out which one's best. And he stops and it says, he grabs a little child. Now, he grabs a little child and puts it in the midst. Now, when we read little child, we tend to think a well-behaved eight-year-old. But the actual Greek word for little child is about a two-year-old. So those of you who have been around two or three-year-olds anytime recently, they're not that impressive. They are cute, but they're not that impressive. And he says, puts them in the midst and says, unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. He didn't even talk about who's best. He said, you ain't even getting in. You're talking about who's the best in the kingdom. Unless you turn and become like a little child, you can't even get in. And we're like, well, that's kind of annoying. And so there's been a lot of ink poured out about what did he mean? You know, was this child's name Chad? And he was just a really good kid. And you're like, wow, we should all just be like Chad. I don't know. Um, But there's some consistent themes about it. Little kids have no shame around their needs, their weaknesses, and how dependent they are. 
Little kid is just like, mom, I'm hungry. They can't even feed themselves. Dad, can you pick me up? They can't even get up on the couch on, your, on their own. Wah, I'm sad. I'm not, I don't love you anymore. They're angry. There's just no wall. They are totally dependent. They need love. They need attention. They need care. And Jesus says, that is the way into the kingdom because that is like Jesus. Not childish, but childlike. Trusting, dependent, vulnerable, open before God. It's the exact place in you and I in our masculine journey that was hurt the most. I remember, I think I told this story the first time, I remember I was vulnerable to my brother and best friend. My brother's name is Corey. He's seven years older than me. And my best friend at the time, his name is Gavin. He was five years older than me. And we were walking to Bricker's Ice Cream Shop. And as we were walking there, I was in second grade. And I was in the school play with it because we all do like some Christmas pageant play thing. And I said, um, and I remember saying, I said, I said, Chris, and I remember they were talking about girls. And when you're in second grade, you don't quite get it. But like, you know enough to know that like, if I talk about a girl, maybe I'll be cool. But like, that's as far as you thought through it. You didn't know how this was going to go over really badly. So like very vulnerably, I stepped out and shared. And then I was destroyed. And I was like, I was like, I was like, Christina, who was the girl in this play with me, was like, she has a birthmark on her shoulder. And they're like, you saw Christina's booby. <laughs> and I was like, and they just started mocking me and creating a whole song on the way to this ice cream shop. Now, on the outside, we're like, yeah, well, we do that to every guy. We're guys. This is what we do. Like, show us a weakness. We will make jokes for decades about it. But if you're the one who got teased, you know what that was like. You played off funny. You might have joined the song. You're, okay, <laughs> yeah, good one. But inside, you're like, I'll never let them know me again. I tried to play their game, and then I got made fun of. I tried to be like them, and then I was basically told, I'm not enough. And when you're in second grade, what do you do with that kind of thing? You just, whoom, you shove it down. Then you try out for a team and maybe you make JV instead of varsity. Or maybe a guy gets a really, the, the cool girl to go to homecoming with him and you don't. And these little events add up. Then maybe a family member dies you really love a lot. And you're like, geez, see, nothing in my life goes well because I'm bad, because I'm not enough. And this becomes your identity you carry around. So what do we do? We turn towards achievement. I'm going to crush it at work. And you get really good at work. And that's awesome. Being a good worker is a really good thing. But it's also really exhausting and lonely if you're doing it to prove yourself. And then Jesus, you have Jesus say, unless you turn to become like a child, vulnerable, trusting, dependent, you can't even get into the kingdom. And we're like, okay, you know what? Wife and kids go to church. I'm going to stay home. A little peace of mind time. I can relax. And it's like, well, does Jesus do anything about any of this? And what he does about it for us is the most amazing thing. I want to tell this story from uh, in a, some of you. Raise your hand if you, any of you went to Ignatius, just so I know. St. Ignatius, anyone? Some of you are like embarrassed. There's like five of you. Like, I don't know, maybe, is there an Ed's guy here? And I don't know if they go to public school. It's okay. You can go to St. Ignatius. I like St. Ignatius. He's a great guy. It's good school. All right. So what you don't, might not know about St. Ignatius is, because they didn't tell you this, Ignatius, I heard, he fathered two kids illegitimately. So St. Ignatius of Loyola had two kids. We don't know their stories at all. We just know he had them. He loved women. And he really wanted to be in the military because he knew if he got in the military, he could change stas uh, class status and get some of the cooler women. Right? 
Maybe the Kardashians would notice him, something like that, okay? So he enters into the, he gets in the military, and he was a terrible soldier. That's all we really know about him. He was gung-ho, he wanted to do the best, but he was bad. Every battle he was in, he wasn't great at it. It wasn't like, like this guy was really good. No records indicate that he was actually good at fighting. And a cannonball hits his leg and breaks it. So he goes into the hospital, and they're fixing it, and Back then, you can imagine what fixing a leg of the cannonball was like, right? So he fixed it. He looks down, and it had a big bump under his knee, the way it was fixed. And he was so vain. He's like, oh, man, the Kardashians aren't going to like that. Get rid of that bump. And they're like, well, you can't. That's a bone. He's like, just get rid of it. Break it again. Get rid of it. Reset it. So they did. They broke his leg again. This is, I mean, so imagine the kind of guy this is, right? Not just like, dude, just have the bump. It's going to be fine. Cover it with pants. A girl won't see it. You'll be fine. But like... The kind of guy, he's so passionate about what he wants. I want, the, I want the best girls to find me attractive. I want to have military status. I will do anything for that. This is a passionate man. So they break his leg again. They fix it. Now he's what's called convalescing, meaning he's just getting better. And at this time, he's like, hey, can I have something to read? Because they didn't have TVs back then, right? So before there was TVs, there were saints. So uh, he's like, yes, what do you read? And they gave him a book. And there was a book on the lives of the saints. Now, at this point, he's like, he was baptized, confirmed, Eucharist. He knew of church, but you know, this wasn't for him. So he starts reading this book. And he's like, oh, good. And then he put the book down, and he like, read some other junky books that were out there. But he'd already read them, but he kind of read them again. Then he went back to this other book on Jesus. Then he was like, all right, fine, I'll go back to this other book. Back and forth. And as he's going back and forth, he starts noticing something. When he reads the, the books that aren't about Jesus and the saints, and he starts thinking about that lifestyle, conquest of the best women, valors, military greatness... He's like, while he's thinking about it, it's really engaging, but when it's done, he feels really dry, insecure, kind of agitated, kind of like, ugh. And when he's reading about the saints and Jesus, he's like, this is okay, I guess. But when he's done, he's filled with peace and zeal. That awareness, a guy in a hospital bed just noticing the different movements within him, that is what gave us the Jesuit order hundreds of years later. He began to recognize, oh, God works in me and through me in my heart to show me the path I need to take. If I listen to the things that give me peace and joy and confidence, those are the things that are going to lead me towards God. And if I ignore the things that are agitating me, this that I'm going to end up following them to my own demise. This became what's called the discernment of spirits. Why is this important? How did Jesus convert this passionate, woman-obsessing, career-status vanity guy? Through his heart. Through getting him to pay attention to his life. Very small ways that transformed him. Very small ways that transformed him. These small ways are so ignored by many of us. So the best saint in heaven is the Blessed Mother. She's called the best saint in heaven. All right? The mom of Jesus, pretty good job description. Not many things are going to trump that. But did you know the church has said there's the second greatest saint in heaven? Who would you guess the second greatest saint in heaven would be? No, oh, Dan, put your hand down. You're done for the night. All right? Come in here with that fancy blazer on. You're done. <laughs> so who would be the second greatest saint? Yeah, Joseph. 
but he's so boring compared to St. Padre Pio. Padre Pio, by located, could read souls and had the stigmata. He was also an exorcist. <laughs> what did Joseph do? Build tables and wipe Jesus' butt and just be nice to Mary? Doesn't that seem weird? Like, am I the only one? How about St. Francis of Assisi? Everyone loves him. There's statues everywhere. Right? He also had the stigmata. He wrote poetry. He, was a myst he had mystical visions. He went all around. He knew that the, that the uh, emperors were going to uh, invade, and he went right up to that emperor and said, we need to talk about peace. Talk about cojones. Go right up to an emperor and be like, we need to talk about peace. Or, I mean, how about a Mother Teresa or John Paul II in our own times? How about the amazing martyrs? Just last week, we celebrated the North American martyrs, St. John de Boeuf and Isaac Jogues and Companions. These were Jesuits who came to just on the border of Canada, North America, upstate New York, and they were in captivity. Their fingers were bit off by the savage Native Americans at the time. They were tortured and bit off, stabbed and burned, some of their companions, and then enslaved to them. They were set free. They wrote a letter to the Pope saying, can we have permission to say Mass because we don't have all of our fingers anymore because you needed all 10 fingers back then to say Mass. And the Pope said, yeah, go for it. Go say your Mass. And, uh, and where did they go? They went right back to the same people who bit their fingers off. I mean, talk about zeal and courage. These guys are amazing. They're not the second best. Like St. Ikea Furniture is the second best. St. Joseph the Carpenter. And it's a big message to us. Now, some of you are younger, but most of us here know that like, our life looks a lot more like St. Joseph than it does any other saint. Hopefully there's a wife you're just faithful to day in and day out. There's kids you're raising, you're providing, and you worship God. And what you need to know, according to God, that is the greatest man Next to Jesus was St. Joseph. Listen to one of these quotes from a saint. And I have these handouts for you before you leave a bunch of quotes so you can look at them. The growth of Jesus took place within the Holy Family under the eyes of St. Joseph, who had the important task of raising Jesus, that is feeding, clothing, and educating him in the ways of God and in a trade in keeping with the duties of a father. He was a dad. Remember the sociological studies? What changes culture? Dads practicing their faith and being faithful to their jobs. Here's another one. This is my favorite quote about St. Joseph by Blessed William Joseph. You, you guys all know him. <clears throat> yeah, easy, Dan. Dan, someone get him out of here. Okay. Here's his quote. To give life to someone is the greatest of all gifts. To save a life is the next. Who gave life to Jesus? Mary. Who saved his life? Joseph. Remember when King Herod was going to kill all the newborns and Joseph got him out of there? Ask St. Paul who persecuted him. Ask St. Peter who denied him. Ask all the saints who participated in his death through their own sins. But if we ask who saved Jesus? Be silent, patriarchs. Be silent, prophets. Be silent, apostles, confessors, and martyrs. Let St. Joseph speak. He alone is the Savior of the Savior.
That's an awesome quote. The church has a way of calling forth what's best in us in ironic ways. Like if I told you all there was a neighborhood in town where four houses got knocked down and we need help, every one of you, I know, you'd be like, all right, let's go build those houses. And that's awesome. It means you're not narcissists, all right? You care about others. It's a beautiful thing. If I told you Jesus wants to spend 10 minutes of alone time with you every day in silent prayer, you'd be like, you know, there's a lot of people we can help. <laughs> like press into that. Do we not actually believe God is real? If he is, does he speak to us? I don't know. I'm not one of those Ernest Angley guys, Father. <laughs> Mother Teresa says this, not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. She also says, God doesn't ask that we succeed in everything, but that we are faithful. We don't even know if St. Joseph was the best carpenter. You realize that? Like, what if his shop was like Kmart? Like, got the job done, but like, no one's just like, hey, Merry Christmas, got you a gift card to Kmart. <laughs> like, what if he was just an okay carpenter? But he did it, and he did it faithfully. Made him the second greatest saint ever. This is all to lead up to my final point, which is this. is There's something in the church called Exodus 90. Some of you, raise your hand if you've done Exodus 90. Okay, two of you, great. Maybe a few more in the back. Um, Exodus 90 is this really intense thing. What it is, for 90 days you do prayer and penance, cold showers, fasting, uh, day, times of prayer, no TV, very minimal technology. The idea is like to just purify yourself from all these things that you don't need so you realize your need for God. And it's intense and it's awesome. Think about it like P90X for Catholics. Right? And what's amazing is like if I was like, hey, let's go do P90X, a lot of you would be like, awesome. Let's trade for marathons. Awesome. Let's go build these houses. Awesome. Big, hard, challenging, great. One of the most successful philosophies of change is called two degrees. If your house is hot and you realize it's 74 degrees, you don't turn it down to 50. You hit it down to 72 or 71. That little change, weight, and over time, that change will accomplish the desired climate. Same thing's true with us in God, to be honest. St. Joseph wasn't flashy. He didn't do big, amazing things. We don't need to do flashy, big, amazing things to become the revolution in our culture and in our country that we need. Men practicing their faith so that the next generation knows of God and that our culture gets less deaths of despair and more lives of hope. Two degrees of change. So maybe you only go to Mass twice a month. All right, two degrees of change. I'll go to Mass three times this month. Good. And then December, I'll try to do three times again. And then January, I'll try four. In February, I'll do four. Okay. And then maybe by April, I'll do one daily Mass as well. Little change, consistent over time, brings about the transformation we desire. Maybe for you, you don't pray at home. Maybe you're like, I don't really pray during the day at all. I, I, I think of God, but I don't really do any prayers. All right, maybe for you, when you wake up from now on, you're going to say one Our Father and one Hail Mary before you even get out of bed. So you're going to say right there, first thing to be, boom, just one Our Father, one Hail Mary. You do that every day. Just a little change. And in a month from now, all of a sudden, you're like, I want to actually wake, like, get out of bed and maybe just, just read a little scripture and kind of do a little bit more, like a little five minutes with God. I'd just like to actually pray a little bit more. I'm noticing a desire is growing in me. 
two degrees of change consistently over time. Maybe for you, it's um, you haven't shared your faith at work or in, uh, among your friends outside of here. And so they don't really know that you are a believer in any way. And you're like, I know I should probably witness in some way. Maybe you ask one time every week, hey, I'm going to go to church this week. Is there anything I can pray for you for, your family? I'm just going to ask. And I'm going to do that every week to my friends or coworkers or extended family. And that's just going to be able to do. One little change consistently over time. And pretty soon, all of a sudden, they maybe they're asking, hey, when do you go? Can, I've never really gone. Can I go with you? And you're like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> little change over time. Many of you are married, I know. Have you ever prayed with your spouse? Let me tell you, as a guy who has more intimate conversations with women than anyone else in this room, because it would be weird if you did and your wife would be mad, but it's called confession for me, and it's part of my life status. The, the female heart has a hard time expressing what it desires. Now, you know that better than I do, okay? If you're married or dating or anything like that. But the female heart wants to know that it could be totally entrusted to a man who will lead them to God. Now, they may never articulate it in that way, but that's what they're looking for. Can I entrust myself to this man in such a way that he will take me to God? Once again, the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph. She entrusted herself to Joseph's care, and he kept her on the way to the Father and carrying out her mission. This doesn't mean you have to levitate and all of a sudden have rosaries on you at all times and only have images of Jesus and Mary in your house. Right? But what this does mean is, if you're not that kind of guy, or you're like, I don't know that I could, and I don't know how, well, let's start with two degrees of change. Maybe if you go home tonight and you, you, you reek of bourbon, wash your mouth first. But um, maybe when you, you, you get home and uh, maybe it's very simple. Listen, Father Ryan challenged us to just pray with our spouses. I know it's going to be weird, but we're just saying our father and I don't want to talk about it. Great. That's your two degree of change. You're like, and he, by the way, now that that's done, we do, we, he did ask us maybe to do that like every night. Just for like a week and see what's going on. It's going to be weird. Just like if you haven't been to a gym in a really long time. So... I don't know if you can't tell, I'm not necessarily a gym rat, okay? But uh, I remember uh, when I was in, I, went, I spent a summer at Creighton University. So I was like, well, I'm going I'm to do this. I'm going to, I don't know what this was really. But I remember going, got my workout clothes. They had a basketball, basketball was starting in an hour. I'm like, I'm going to go upstairs, go to the gym and work out. I'd never been in a gym. My dad always went to the gym. My older brother went with him, but they never invited me. Right, because I was like eight years younger, so I was just like the younger one. So we're not going to take him. So I never, and then by the time they got older, a lot of things were going on. So I never got to go to the gym with my dad. Didn't know how to do it or what that was. So I remember I walked in, and I was like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know where to, I don't know. I was like, I've seen treadmills before. I'll, do, I'll start there. <laughs> and I just like ran on a treadmill for 20 minutes, like just trying to look in the mirrors to see how other guys were using workout equipment. And then I would just imitate what they were doing. And and I was like, well, after that hour workout, I was like, I'm not going back there. I just, but it felt so weird and uncomfortable because I'd never done it. If I knew the two degrees of change, I'd say, all right, do two machines. First time I ever just do two machines for 10 minutes and then leave. Good. Next time I come back, I'd know those two machines. And if I just did that for a week, I'd be so much in a better place. Just two little changes. 
Similarly, praying with your spouse, praying with your kids, praying with a friend. Like just, okay, you know, I've never done, okay, buddies, before we go out, can we just say a little prayer and just, and I know it's weird, just, I just want to try it once and see. And I mean, they already make fun of you for other stuff. It's what guys do. So it's like these two degrees of change, this little movement is like St. Ignatius just noticing the little movement. Oh, I was at peace when I read these things and thought about this stuff. And I was agitated when I read these things and thought about this stuff. Anyone else in the world, we would have been like, that's not a life-changing realization. From that realization, that led him to start the Jesuit order, and they've been all around the world. And eventually the Jesuits came into North America, as I mentioned, in Isaac Jones and St. John, they boof, and they converted the Native Americans. And about two generations later, one of the daughters of those tribesmen is now known as St. Kateri Tekawitha. She, her parents and grandparents were in that tribe that those missionaries who were Jesuits came and evangelized. We wouldn't have had those missionaries if St. Ignatius didn't recognize, oh, I'm at peace when this happens, and I'm not when this happens. Two degrees of change is a lot more, I don't know, it just feels so much unimpressive and weak at times, but it is the way that leads to life-changing, and even, as we see sociologically, cultural changing events. So what I have for you guys is, uh, I don't know how many of you are here. I made 50 copies. So maybe someone on the Joe can, since you did such a great introduction, you can pass those up. Uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe can give you those. What I just have, I have a lot of quotes on the front. And then on the back, I just have three categories. God, friends, slash coworkers, slash school, depending what age you're at. And then the bottom one is spouse, slash home life. And I'm just going to ask you to take some time right now and just kind of think about each one. We're going to take five minutes of silence once they're all passed out. And just think about one area of change in each one of those that's like the two-degree change, right? It's not the big changes. I'm going to make a little adjustment for this week and just see where I'm at. See if I'm more open to God and more available to being a life like St. Joseph. So let's end in prayer. And then uh, I hate to tell you this, but it is my day off, so I'm going to be running out of here to go, have, uh, go meet up with some friends. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, you are so much like a dad that you rejoice in the little steps we take. Lord, for some of us, you know they're going to be like first steps. And so they're awkward and strange for us. But for some of us, it's just like after having surgery and being able to move our legs again. It's joyful and good. Give us the grace we need to become different men. Men more like St. Joseph who externally does the simple things of life, but internally was full of the fire of divine love and passion and was setting the world on fire. Bless these men and their families. Bless their future and their past. Give them peace and openness. And I thank you for their yes for being here tonight, Lord. And may God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.